Over the last year and a half, the Expats Podcast has visited Canadians in over 35 countries. We've covered a lot of ground, for sure, but there are so many more stories to collect and share with the world about the huge variety of Canadian expat experiences. If you've been thinking, man, I'd really like to share my story, please reach out to us. And if you know someone who's living in another country, let them know about the expat show. We'd love to speak with them. Have them send us a message at info at expatspodcast.ca and we'll get the ball rolling on having them on the show. And if you're interested in learning the ins and outs of podcast creation and production and you live in Western Canada, you're in luck. Saturday, May 6th is the first ever Pod Summit in Calgary, Alberta. At Pod Summit, you'll connect with other podcasters and learn about how to start podcasting. You'll learn about recording gear, audio production, content creation, and audience building. And hey, the expats will be there too, talking all about how to conduct outstanding interviews. Visit podsummit.com for more information and to buy your tickets. The event's early bird tickets are already sold out, but there are still regularly priced tickets available. That's podsummit.com. I hope I see you there. And now, on with the show. Lately, any mention of the word Korea evokes images of the North's Kim Jong-un or of disgraced South Korean President Park Geun-hye. You might be reminded of the outlandish depiction of North Korea from Team America World Police or, if you're like me, you think of K-pop and Psy's massive 2012 hit, Gangnam Style. Style. Go back thousands of years. And you'll know there wasn't a North and a South Korea. There was just Korea. In the 19th century, Korea was ruled by the Joseon family, which adopted a strict isolationist policy. For a while, Korea was known as the Hermit Kingdom. But that isolationist policy failed. And after the First Sino-Japanese War and the Russo-Japanese War, Korea was occupied by Japan. That was 1910. And Japan held on until the end of the Second World War. The plan after the Japanese left was to unify the two Koreas, but the escalation of the Cold War meant that two parts of the country allied themselves with different sides of the political spectrum. Communism in the North and democracy in the South. And that brings us to about 1948. In June of 1950, North Korea invaded the South, starting the Korean War. It would last about three years. The two countries have been coexisting very uneasily ever since. Today, South Korea is a thriving and urban democracy. About 92% of South Koreans live in cities. Seoul is its capital and its largest city, with about 30 million people living in the metro area. But we aren't visiting Seoul today. Instead, we're going to learn all about life in Gwangju, South Korea's sixth largest city and home to just under 2 million people. Join me as I find out about life for a Canadian experiencing the extreme monoculture of South Korea on the expats.
Welcome to The Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Arlo Matisch is a jack-of-all-trades, something of a Renaissance man. After graduating with a degree in math, he set out to see the world. Who knew he'd become a radio host in South Korea? Back in, uh, in 2005, uh, actually I guess it was summer 2004, I graduated from University of Alberta. I had a major in math, minor in chemistry. Hadn't really applied myself too much to my degree. My GPA wasn't great. Um, I wasn't looking at at going into uh, honors or anything or doing a master's. But I, I had a degree. I'd always wanted to go work abroad. And so I said, okay, I'm going to go teach abroad. And I had a couple possibilities spring up and evaporate. And finally, I ended up getting getting tired of, of trying to figure out these gigs with people in Edmonton. So I said, all right, I'm just going to find myself something online. And about a week after I started looking, I was in Korea. A week after? that That's astonishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then, um, you could come over kind of on a tourist visa and set things up, and then later on go over and change over to your proper visa. Uh, now, that sort of thing is impossible, really. So how long ago are we talking then? How long have you been so living? That, was, that, was, that would have been 2005. October 19th, 2005, I hit the ground here in Korea. And just... Maybe a couple weeks prior, maybe two weeks before that, I decided, okay, I'm just going to look for a job in Asia as fast as I can on the internet. Found out, okay, Korea's pretty good. And within a week of, within four days, I think, of doing that, I had a job offer to be in Korea. A couple days more, I had plane tickets in my inbox. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, a week later, I was here. So I get here, and uh, I think my second week here, I, I met my first foreigners, I actually came over here with my best friend, but we can get into that a bit later. Uh, he was teaching in a different city, but I, I met I met a foreigner. I went I went finally you know I got in a taxi. I said, "Take me downtown," uh, and I I go into find the I tra- followed some other foreigners. They said, "Oh, we're going to this bar," so I followed them. And uh, first guy I met, I'd I'd walked up. They told me you know it was it was all you could drink <laughs> at this bar that night for about fifteen dollars. Uh oh, there was a Halloween Uh-oh. party. And I wasn't in a costume, but I was wearing, at the time, I was really into 80s metal. So I was kind of wearing my, my usual clothes, which, as it turned out, looked like I was in an <laughs> 80s metal band. And uh, so I fit right in. But I went up to the bar. I said to my friend who'd come down from his city for that week, and I said, I, okay, I'm going to check out this all-you-can-drink things. I walked up. I said, I want seven beers. And they said, all right. And they gave me seven beers. So I gave one to my friend. But they opened them all. So I gave one to my friend. I said, okay, I'm going to go make five friends. And the first guy I met, we started talking, and it turned out he had gone to U of A as well a, f- a bit earlier, and it turned out he'd actually been in a history class with me. No way! Super small world. And it turned out he'd, he'd been teaching off and on in Korea for, at that point, 10 years. It turned out he was the linchpin of our community here. How, what do you mean? Um, well, just a few months later, he opened a, a, for, a foreigner bar. Uh, the next year, he opened a foreign, res- uh, foreign grocery store. A few years later, he opened a foreign restaurant, and he was just the guy that knew everyone. He spoke Korean fluently, so he was the guy to know to help out with everything. Yeah. And so I became really fast friends with this guy, mm-hmm. and uh, he asked me that, that Christmas, a couple months later, you know, could you be Santa for the orphanage uh, Christmas party? <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. And kind of rolling from that, we became uh, closer and closer as friends, and I got more involved with the community. Now, fast forward, 2009 the city opens this public radio station that's in English and he gets a job as a host there. And so now he's working at the radio. And then in 2000, 
2013, I came back to Korea and uh, I was a guest on his show as a science correspondent because that was my background, you know, chemistry and math. Sure. So for 10 minutes, 10 minutes a week, I'd blab about some new science or technology, you know. And he, uh, unfortunately, he was he was recovering from leukemia and uh, the side effects of his recovery were really starting to interfere with him. And he had to take some time off again. And uh, the radio called me in. They actually had me for dinner. Well, that's pretty fancy. They're taking me out for dinner just to let me know that they're retooling the show. Because I'd heard they were interviewing people from Seoul ah. for, the, for, for his job. They said, yeah, can you take it over? I said, all right, that's a big honor. Thanks. <laughs> you know, why? <laughs> if you don't mind me asking. They're like, well, you know, we know that you're his friend. When he gets better, uh, you'll, you'll step aside for it. And uh, we think you're smart. And I was like, oh, okay. And I mean, part of that was, you know, the math degree, <laughs> you know, even, even if I'm not, wasn't applying it directly. The nice thing about a math degree is people assume that you're cleverer than you are because <laughs> most people don't like math. And, uh, and I can say, you know, I could say I'm not good at math. I'm qualified enough at math to say I'm not good at it because I've seen the tough stuff and I can't roll with that. But, uh, so I, I took over the show. Um, and un- unfortunately, uh, two weeks later, he, he passed away Wow! of uh, complications. Um, he was actually, his, his obituary was in all the national newspapers here in South Korea. You're kidding. Oh, no, no, no. He, he was a, a really big guy. Uh, his, his name's Michael Simning. Actually, we got involved and set up a scholarship in his name afterwards for uh, girls in Nadwara in Kenya, where his, uh, his mother has been uh, building a library and working on building schools and stuff there. So was this guy, this guy was Canadian? Yeah, he was Canadian. Um, he was originally born in Vancouver, Island, but he lived out in Alberta in Lacombe and then gone to U of A. And he was just the biggest deal here. And so after, after he passed away, I kind of thought, well, they'll probably, now they'll probably want to actually bring in a real radio professional. You know, I've already only been doing the job for two weeks. I've even signed a contract, but they said, no, we'd like to keep you. That's amazing. Yeah, it worked out well. I guess another big signal of why they brought me over, and this is the math degree helping out again, tangentially, is that uh, I do have a. I also have a master's in economics that I picked up um, out at at UBC before coming back to Korea because I'd, I'd become interested in economics. Mm-hmm. And so, just before they offered me the job, I'd gotten a job at the local one of the local universities, and I guess that was a bit of screening. They thought, okay, well, if a university will hire him. He's good enough for us. <laughs> I was going to say that that's an amazing story. I do want to, I do want to back up just a little bit because sure, you, sure, I, pick pick that apart anywhere you want because I know there's a lot of little pathways along that, and I mean that whole timeline, that's uh, that's almost ten years. Yeah, so so a lot has happened in between now and then. Um, Absolutely. You mentioned you mentioned. Um, the the way that you describe it, and I know you were just trying to basically summarize, it sounded like a, a pretty soft landing for you in Korea. Now, you're not you're in a, a city whose name I'm going to mess up. Is it Gwangju? Yep, that's absolutely right. Gwangju. Gwangju. OK, now, d- did you set out to be in that city or were you thinking that Seoul would be where you would where you would, you know, hang your um, shingle? Actually, uh, you know, after I had, you know, I was looking at places Seoul looked all right, but I was I was doing a lot of research while in those f- few short days, <laughs> and I had about I had about five interviews, six six or I should I should say I had about five or six offers before I took this one. Okay, 
and you know, I was researching and some of the schools had been blacklisted. So I was like, Oh, I don't want to go there. And some of them were just in places that didn't look that great to me. But Seoul, I mean, Seoul's pop greater Seoul. It's almost the population of Canada. Yeah. You know, it's, it's nuts and squeezed into an area that's not that much bigger than Calgary. And so, you know, and it seemed kind of impersonal. It's like, like, a lot of people said, you know, like you don't, it's, it's harder to make friends. It's harder to kind of get involved in the community. And then I got an offer from Guangzhou. And so I was researching Guangzhou and it's like, okay, it's a million and a half people. I'm living in Edmonton. It's kind of comparative size. Mm-hmm. And everyone was saying, you know, it's got a really tight community. And then, you know, this is before Facebook. So I couldn't really like, it wasn't, I didn't connect with anyone and like ask him about it. There weren't pages for it in that. But, you know, looking at its history, it's like, what is it famous for? Well, it's famous for art. It's got the best food in Korea. I saw that. And I was like, all right. I like art. I like food. Sold. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it looked like a, a good city. The guy I talked to, uh, it was also a good offer. The school, I, I got an offer at what's called a hogwan, like a, an after-school academy. Okay. And my academy, I think my starting hours were like 15 hours a week for the same paycheck that other people were working 35 hours for. They call that the sweet life, I think. Yeah, they do. And I know I knew my contract said up to 30 hours, so I knew it would slowly pad up and it slowly did. I think I ended up including some like voluntary teacher teaching I was doing. It got up to into the mid 20s. But, you know, I didn't mind at all the school. I was the only foreign teacher. um, So, you know, there wasn't anyone I had to get really immediately compared to and look like a slacker. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. The work the work was easy. Yeah. You know, there was the odd experience, you know. I remember they gave me a stack of report cards to fill out with, uh, for, to put comments on. And, you know, I was like, well, there's no, there's not grades on these report cards. I don't remember every student's Korean name. And they were like, yeah, just put something nice. <laughs> just put something then, nice. I mean, that, isn't that, isn't that how the school system works in North America now too? It, it does kind of seem like that sometimes, right? You can, so, you know, I just write like, oh, you know, they should keep working on their reading, you know, good job. And then the next quarter, they gave me their port cards. And they said, okay, you have to keep the comp. Some of the parents com- compared comments and they were annoyed that they were too similar. So so I had to get a thesaurus. I'm like looking at different ways. <laughs> I'm using all these $12 words to describe these kids. And that time they gave them, they didn't even have names on their report cards. Oh, what? So that's there was funny little bits like that, hmm. but yeah, the the job itself worked out well, and that's you know that got me here into the city. You know, my friend who came at the same time, he went to a smaller city in the same province, and his job was so awful that he had to literally run away. What? Uh, uh, which is kind of illegal, actually. But he, he had to leave his job, you know, abandon it, take up another job. And you know who got him his new job was that guy Michael Sinning, the friend I had made. Jeez, got him. Got him a new job right away. Really good job here in the city where he ended up teaching with the woman who is now my fiance. So when they uh, when they say small world, I think this is the kind of thing that they're talking about. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was ridiculous. It, it, you know, I now I guess I could look at it like something, you know, kind of kind of like Dirk Gently or something like <laughs> everything was connected. It was just everything was fitting together. I couldn't uh, I couldn't imagine at the time, how much it would all fit. No kidding. You know, when I said I made, I, you know, when I got those seven beers, gave one to my friend, I had one, those five beers I gave out, I'm still friends with every person I gave one to. That's amazing. And and I mean, good friends. One of them gave me a reference for my job at the university. Uh, one of them, 
Uh, I ended up making his wedding rings. You know, just... Uh, <laughs> oh, wait. So hang on a second. So on top of mathematics, the economics, radio, and teaching, you're also a, a metallurgist? Is is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, a friend of mine here, he's he's a Korean uh, middle-aged guy. He He's a master jeweler. Uh, literally, he actually won won a gold medal in what was basically the World Jewelry Olympics, uh, the International Milling Competition. And yeah, he, uh, he's been teaching me here in Korea off and on for about a decade. Wow. Uh, it's just a, it's a hobby, but uh, it's, it's a fun hobby. I, you know, my mother and sister are artists. I think maybe a little bit of that uh, is somewhere rattling around in the right side of my brain. And uh, it's, you know, it actually kind of takes me back sometimes to my chemistry background. It's, I don't know, I find it soothing to sit there and file away at a piece until it's finished. Drives some people nuts. They don't know how how i how i can sit there and do the same thing for two hours yeah no i mean that's uh it's it's an unusual skill and and you sound like you know a bit of a renaissance man um and <laughs> and purposeful when you you know when you arrived you it sounds like you really set out you had some very clear inje- objectives in mind you're going to make friends you're going to find work was there any kind yep. of uh culture shock that you experienced when you arrived that you had to work oh, through big time big time yeah. i mean Korea, in a lot of ways, I used to say it's the opposite of Canada. In that, let's let's start off. Yeah. You know, it's very small. It's a one one hundredth the size of Canada. You got, you know, fifty percent more people, and it's it's seventy percent mountain, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't know. And so, uh, you know, anywhere that there's a valley, they pack into it. They pack a city and fill it with people. And so you have all these people around you. You know, right off the bat, even if you're coming out of downtown Toronto, it still seems packed. Coming from Alberta, you know, it's nuts. Yeah, I'm from Medicine Hat. You know, <laughs> being a being around as many people as as there are in Medicine Hat packed into a couple of square kilometers seems pretty nuts. No kidding. And you you notice again right away it's a monoculture. You know, 99.9 percent of Korean citizens are Korean. Mm-hmm. The first week I was there, I didn't see a non-Korean. You know, which. Again, you, you, you would never experience that anywhere that you were in Canada. No, in fact, you're right. Precisely the opposite. And uh, yeah, now I'm not in Seoul. If you're up in Seoul, sure, you'd see foreigners around everywhere. But I'm, I was down here in Guangzhou at the time. The, the number of foreign teachers was probably a few hundred. Most of the other foreigners, uh, you know, there's a lot of laborers, but they live in different parts of the city and do different things. And so that's a shock. And then... You know, from there, you're kind of looking around. It's like, you know, there's a different alphabet. There's squiggles everywhere. I don't know how to read this stuff. <laughs> like, I, 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 you know, I'm a voracious reader. I'll read anything in print. You know, when I look around, you know, if I'm sitting down, I'll pick up a newspaper or magazine. I'll read it. If I see a sign, I'll read it. If I see a menu, I'll read it. Having that blocked was, was one of the biggest shocks for me. Yeah, and this is before they had tools like Google Translate where you could just point a camera at something. Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is before you had a smartphone. Yeah. So how, and, you said about le- to learn Korean, uh, obviously. and, and Well, I, I started to learn the alphabet pretty quick. The Korean alphabet, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but you really can start to learn it in about 30 minutes or so. It's not, it makes a lot of uh, sense, a lot more sense than our alphabet. Hmm. But uh, um, I've, I did a poor job of applying myself to learning the grammar and vocabulary. <laughs> but I will say this. On top, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm a math guy. It's not, it's not really uh, my my strength. 
you know, even middle school French was a, was always a difficult subject for me. But Korean is, you know, vastly different from English. And that's that leads to another cultural difference. Like Korea, a lot of their cultural background is very Confucian. And so there's very strict, very important hierarchies of age and gender and position at work. And that manifests in their language. It's a created language, Korean. Okay. And, and their alphabet as well. And their verb endings, uh, there's seven verb forms for different level of formality. Holy so, shit. So, so if I'm at school, you know, later I taught at a middle school and a high school. So let's imagine my high school experience. Depending if I'm speaking to a student, a younger teacher, a teacher my age, an older teacher, vice principal, principal or superintendent i would use different i would be if i'm doing things properly probably using slightly different forms of verb conjugations so it actually sounds like in some ways a very intimidating language to learn the the closest you know the closest for me to that kind of uh formality and even you know uh gender or sex differences or gender differences would be french and french was pretty complicated for me but korean sounds like worlds away it is it is and there's some other basic stuff that's still you know the the order of things are different you you know you go subject object object verb rather than subject verb object Hmm. which still takes your head a while to get around but uh you know the 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 how how should you speak to someone but when you're speaking to people, that's tricky too. Because in Canada, you know, there's a lot of people that are second, second language English, right? Yep. And you've grown up, you've heard on TV, you know, people speaking with English accents, people mispronouncing words. If someone speaks to you, you can recognize right away if English isn't maybe their first language, and you'll accommodate that. Mm-hmm. But in Korea, everyone in Korea speaks perfect Korean, interesting, and has their whole life. Yeah, I mean, because they're and all so, they're all Korean, right? Right. And so when they speak to you, they don't slow things down. They don't use simpler language, you know, as a general rule. On They also, when they hear you speak Korean, they've never heard it spoken so badly. <laughs> you know, like I'd say something to a taxi driver and he'd be arguing, telling me that like where I'm asking for is in a different city. And I know that he's saying that. And I just keep saying the word that to me, sounds the same as the word that he eventually exasperately says, oh, that thing. You know, there's some, there are some sound differences. There's a couple of sounds that are in the Korean language that we really don't have, so we can't even really hear the difference very well. Yeah. And, you know, here they're, they're, they're just baffled. They're like, why are they asking me to take them to this place in a different city? Oh, they meant that place here. You know, whereas if someone said, oh, gets into a taxi in, in Edmonton, they're like, oh, can we go to Whit Avenue? <laughs> and you know they're, exactly the what they mean. Like, oh, you know, Whit Avenue is in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanted to be a dick, you could say that, I suppose. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, the nice thing is most people agree are generally not trying to be dicks. They're being, they're being accommodative. They're trying to help you out. You know, I've had people, I've been standing outside on a hot, sweltering day and an old old man comes out of the the little pharmacy there, and he's just bought me a cold, you know, lemon drink or something that they were selling in there because I looked hot. Wow, wow, that's that's a degree of niceness that that typically Canadians get accused of of being. Yeah, well, and luckily that's kind of being a Canadian coming into Korea. It's 
you, you do get some pretty fair treatment because uh, we're considered, you know, we're kind of like nice Americans. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Americans here, fortunately, unfortunately, they also have the fact that there's a large American presence on the peninsula, that you've got tens of thousands of American soldiers. So kind of similarly to Japan in some ways, people have to bear the burden of, uh, you know, the crimes and mistakes made by servicemen. Right. Whereas, you know, there haven't been a lot of Canadians that did really terrible stuff here. And so, uh, you know, people are, and, you know, we have a reputation for being sort of quieter or more polite. Mm -hmm. And it's a, you know, Canada is a fairly multicultural society. So maybe people come coming from to Canada to Korea seem a little more open-minded. Oh, that's good. That's At the cool. same time, I've met some Canadians that, you know, they come here and act like real jerks. And I've met people from all other places that acted wonderfully. And I guess that's one of the the final differences when you talk about culture shock. That when I used to do something, I started figuring out, like, my teachers would think that that's what Canadians were like. Oh. Because it's a monoculture. You know, the- Koreans act like Koreans. You know, there's a Korean culture, there's a Korean history, there's a Korean hierarchy, there's Korean language, and it's all structured and formed around this beingness of Korean. And, you know, we can't really compare that with New World countries like America or Australia or Canada. You know, it would make a little more sense in Europe, but even then a lot of European countries are fairly integrated now as well. So as a monoculture, you know, you're starting to notice like, wow, things do seem to be done around here in certain ways and there's not a lot of deviation from that and if you deviate you're a deviant and at the same time you know that people's expectations have already been formed by whatever the first one of you that they met and if you're the first one you're the one forming those expectations well and then in that sense it sounds like this michael fellow that you met uh who who passed away was Mm. the ultimate ambassador for canada in that part of the world Absolutely. absolutely that's and that's he was often referred to that after the link, uh, after the conversation, I can send you a link to his obituary. It's uh, it's pretty uh, heart melting. But uh, yeah, he's the role that he played, and he taught me a lot. You know, I came here as a young guy, as twenty five, and uh, and he was about, I guess he was uh, six years older than me. Okay. And uh, which, when you're twenty five, someone who's thirty one seems pretty old. Um, but he offered, you know, a lot of wisdom in that experience about being an ambassador and about treating the people around you. You know, we are their guests, you know, we're being welcomed here. And even even though he moved down the path towards citizenship, it's still a matter of that, you know, it's a privilege to be here. Man, speaking about privilege, like the ability to go... I, I was able to come here and teach English, and my only qualification was that I had a university degree. It didn't have to be in English, didn't have to be in education. That's privilege, man. Big time. Uh, you know, just to be lucky enough to have this language that is in demand. Now I'm now I'm teaching economics, so I'm at least have moved into my domain where I feel more qualified and more competent. And are you teaching economics in English or, or in Korean? Uh, in English. Yeah. Though... You know, I'm, I'm grabbing onto a few Korean terms here and there to uh, ease things up in the in the process. I'm actually looking at becoming the first professor, the first foreign professor in the economics department at my faculty. Right now, I'm being leased out by the foreign studies department, but it looks like I'm going to be moving over, and so I'm kind of excited 
there. It'll be fun to be over in the economics building, you know, the only foreigner in one of the offices. It'll it'll be a new experience. Yeah, you sound like a, a little bit of a, a trailblazer, Arlo. I, I do have one last question for you, and that is, oh, sure. that is, um, you know, for people who are thinking about uh, embarking upon an expat experience, and a lot of the folks I talk to uh, have been to Asia or have a desire to go to Asia, what what kind of advice would you give them? Um, well, I, I say for starters, you know, figure out what you're looking for, what you think you're looking for, and look for places that have that. You know, if you want to be by the ocean, take a city by the ocean. If you need green space, take a smaller city that's got more of that. You know, I don't think someone's going to be that happy moving from a really little town to a place like Tokyo or Seoul, unless that's specifically the experience you want. Um, That said, you know, if you've found something that you think will match up with, if not what you're used to, what you want to do, when you get there, you know, get involved with the community any way you can. If it means volunteering, good. You're going to meet people to volunteer and you're going to make yourself look like a bit of an ambassador. You know, I, I wanted to learn a new hobby and that's how I got into the jewelry making. And I knew that'd be a good way to maybe connect with some locals. At first, I thought it was going to be through martial arts or something, but it ended up being silver work. <laughs> uh, you know, and really try and appreciate it. You know, I'd say even if you don't learn the language before, you know, learn about the culture. Yeah. You know, a, yeah. a big part of that culture shock, part of the culture shock were little things like seeing a sign that said anti-Japanese monument with an arrow. <laughs> when, you know, you, know, you, would, you couldn't see that in Canada. You wouldn't see that. You wouldn't want to, you know. <laughs> but, hey, if you're a peninsular, little peninsular country and you've grown up with 5,000, 6,000 years of culture next to these big juggernauts like Mongolia, China, and Japan, yeah, it's kind of like old Europe. You've got that old history and those cultural rivalries, and that stuff runs deep. And so you've got to be able to understand that and contextualize it. And it'll give you more appreciation and it'll let you figure out, you know, what's going on. And it's, I was going to say, and it probably never hurts to buy uh, a bar full of people a round of beer. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> if you get the opportunity, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's good to be magnanimous at the, you know, when I call when I met that friend of mine. Uh, Mike, you know, wasn't a friend yet, but I, I got his phone number that night. And the next morning, I did something which was really out of character. I never would do this in Canada. But I, I called him. And I was like, hey, it's that guy you met last night. He's like, oh, hey, how's it going? You have fun? I'm like, yeah, I did. So what to say? You know, you're really friendly last night. It was really nice to meet you. You know, you're the first foreigner I met. It was nice. It was really small world to meet someone who'd gone to the same school. But I say, you made me feel really welcome in the city. So thanks. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, you're welcome. And he, he told me years later, that his, you know, his wife was there listening to the phone call and she said, oh, who's that? She's like, oh, that was that, that Canadian guy that we met last night. And he's like, oh, what was he calling me? He's like, oh, just to thank me for being nice and it was good to meet me. She's like, oh, that's weird, isn't it? And he said to her, yeah, that is weird. I like this guy. <laughs> it sounds like you a, know, a deeply Canadian thing to uh, to do. And Well, it, it worked out. Like if you seek those connections, if you try and see the way that things are connected, you'll get those opportunities. Now, some people are happy just coming here and, you know, partying hard and and uh, chasing guys or chasing girls or whatever they do, whatever they want to do. But if you get involved with people and make real connections with people, you know, those will open up doors that you never thought were possible. I never thought I'd be teaching at a university here. Certainly never thought I'd be a radio host. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, it's, it's worked out. And a lot of that, you know, was roads paved by better people before me and they left big shoes to fill, but they showed me how to fill them. If you're interested in learning more about Michael Simning and the massive impact that he had on the people of South Korea, visit the episode post on our website. We've shared several links about Michael there. That concludes this episode of The Expats. If there are any expats you think I should be speaking with, have them email me at info at expatspodcast.ca or send me an email yourself. And let's keep building this global network of Canadians living abroad. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart. You can find The Expats on Twitter at Expats Podcast and on Facebook by searching Expats Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to The Expats on the iTunes Music Store, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. And make sure you leave us a review. That would be really swell. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks.